kind of a appropriate spring. It's like a spring day, one of these spring days that it's kind of like rainy. Spring Overcast. day. Threatening rain, but no rain. But it's warm out and the birds are chirping. Mm. If you're sitting indoors, you hear the birds. It's like, oh, it's spring out. Mm. Yeah. John wants to know what's on this show. Yeah. What show? <laughs> so, hello. 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 My name is Michael Rosso, and I'm sitting here in the studio with John Fideli. Hello. And this is the Film Photography Podcast, mm-hmm. the internet radio show, all about shooting with traditional film. Yes. Yeah, it's a nice jacket. Oh, you like that? Uh-huh. It's cozy. It's corduroy. Corduroy. But it doesn't look like a hard corduroy. No, it's very very soft. Yeah. Very malleable. You're bringing that to England? Uh, I don't know. I have to be very selective. I can't gonna, bring a lot of stuff. I'm going to pack really light. Yeah. yeah. John, we're talking about the FPP photo walk in England on June 9th, Saturday, June 9th. And what we're going to pack, which is actually a great topic, and maybe yeah. we'll head off, we'll head up with that. But welcome to the show for folks just joining us, the Film Photography Podcast. This is episode 59, May 15th, 2012. Turn 60 next episode. Wow. (laughs) That was fast. Yeah, not kidding. Went by fast. On this episode, we're going to have our book of the month with Matt Mirage. Mm. Do you know the title? It's a magazine of the month. Oh. He he switched it up. All right. Now it's interesting. It's called Photographer's Forum. That's a current thing? Yeah. I think it's current. We're going to find out. Okay. We're going to have a history lesson with Matt Mirage, the origins of photography. Mm, That should be fun. Yeah. Matt is going to be talking about social networking, mm-hmm. not the Facebook type. Oh, really? No. Our man on the street correspondent, NYC correspondent, Hunter White, has an interview with photographer, director, Joseph Birdman Astor, who just finished the film Lost Bohemia. Right. And we have the trailer. Mm-hmm. We're going to roll in, and we're going to talk about that. Our good friends at The Impossible Project, Hunter White, man on the street, Again, he Hunter. walked down to the Impossible Project. Did he? Or took to, took a train? He may have not, taken the train. Maybe it's a far. And he interviewed Keisha. Mm-hmm. This info is so breaking, breaking news, breaking news that I don't have her last name yet. Oh my goodness! So Keisha mm-hmm. at the Impossible Project. We're going to be talking about our online store. We're going to be talking about our upcoming events. Mm-hmm. And also, we're going to talk about um, what you think you're going to bring with you to the photo walks. How to pare down your immense collection. Well, rather than going to a break, why don't we talk about that right now? Because mm. it really is... Uh, oh, we have some listener, listener letters, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I, it's not like a big deal. You see, um, sometimes you think people... like takes days to pack. I think a lot of people... Dane, I asked Dane. He doesn't even know which cameras he's going to bring. When does at. he decide? The day of? I don't know. I think he's mulling it over every day, like trying to think. Because cameras are still coming in for him. He's still got a severe case of gas. I think that maybe, like myself, like every few days, I kind of, oh, you know, what am I going to bring on the photo walk? Hmm. I don't know if you recall, but the gentleman from, uh, the gentleman who showed up from uh, Belgium. Yes, Philippe. Philippe. Am I correct in thinking that he had a huge backpack? He had a lot of stuff. I'm thinking, I'm going to exaggerate. I'm thinking he had 40 cameras with him. no. Maybe 20. Cause 40. He was trying to beat out Dan Domi. <clears throat> oh. <laughs> and then when we went to England, Philippe mm-hmm. was... Uh, he was the Dan Domi of Europe. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. 
that's a lot. People, uh, but remember, people showed up with huge, uh, like overkill. Some people had uh, one camera. Some people had uh, many, many cameras. So I'm trying to think what to bring. I try to represent. Represent 35 millimeter. Mm-hmm. Represent instant photography. Mm-hmm. But this year, I'm shooting a Lomokino. Oh my goodness! So I don't want to overcomplicate it. How much do you plan on shooting? How many rolls? Two rolls. That's it. I want to do. I want to be very concise. I want to edit in my pre-edit my shots so that it's just a matter of we're talking about the Lomography Lomo Kino. It's a uh, 35 millimeter film camera they introduced, and doesn't take motion picture film. It takes traditional film in a cartridge, and you get 144 frames per roll. It takes the average 35 millimeter frame and splits it into four. Mm-hmm. For widescreen images. Wow. Yeah. 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 When you're shooting with it, I photographed using the Lomo Kino Smooth Sailors, and I shot like four rolls of film. Yeah. And that project is still unfinished. It's labor-intensive, scanning-wise. Because once you get your film developed, you have to scan the roll, and then you have to cut out each small... Fr- you have to cut out each <clears throat> of the 144 frames per roll, and then drag those into a software program like iMovie, or Windows Movie Maker, and then... Yikes. And it, it's easy to animate it. It's just the cutting and... Putting once they're things. all cut up, once you drag it into the software, then it's, like, fun. But, yeah, you have almost 600 images. It's a lot of work. Yeah. And I've read online that, you know, people using Lomo Kino, you know, they're saying, wow, what, you know, what are the shortcuts I can take? In my opinion, if you want a nice, smooth movie... There's no real shortcuts. Mm-hmm. So I look at all my photography as an investment. Like, oh, hey, I'm investing my time into making a cool little movie. So I, yeah. I, don't, I don't gripe too much. Those glasses look good on you. Oh, do you? Yeah. You're very Michael Caine. Oh, why, thank you. Yeah, John uh, uses the <laughs> reading glasses you buy at the pharmacy. Yeah, the magnifiers, because mm-hmm. luckily I can get by with them. You think that'll change? Mm, probably. So Lomo Kino, mm-hmm. I'm going to bring it on the various photo walks because I've made the decision this year to document all the events on Lomo Kino. Wow. Good luck to you. But I have to be um, very... Um, selective? Selective about what I shoot. For example, when I shot Lomo Kino Dracula, which, by the way, is on our YouTube channel, if you go, or you just go to our site, filmphotographyproject.com, go to videos, scroll down, you'll see the Lomo Kino Dracula's daughter. I shot like some. Sometimes I did I like. Thought it was called Do- Dracula, daughter Dracula. Oh my! <laughs> okay. <clears throat> uh, some of those, some of those scenes, I did three takes. No, really. I was. It was early on using the Lomo Kino, so I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And when it comes down to scanning your images, you don't want to be cutting out each frame for a take you don't want to use. Yeah. So what I did was rehearse it. For the n- n- newer ones, like uh, the one we did in the park. Oh, yeah. The lunch. Yeah, the fly. The fly, that's also on the our video channel. And we do two others? Yeah, they're in post. Oh, okay. We rehearsed. I shot it. Done. That was it. It's sort of like uh, Zack Snig philosophy. I was going to say, that's the way Zack used to shoot a movie. One right. take, that's it. And that was, uh, for different economics, that was for film usage and processing. Hmm. This is the intensive labor, so now I can appreciate uh, a thrifty filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Someone who only shoots one take, which is commonly known as one-to-one. Mm-hmm. For all you filmmaking fans or budding filmmakers, I would suggest picking up a Lomo Kino. Have some fun. And have some fun, because it really will train you. To be economic. Yeah. It's a process, and if you uh, approach it as a project, that's how I approach everything as a project. Like, okay, you know. 
Once you start the project, you can't not finish it. Mm-hmm. John, the only project that John and I uh, uh, started, but never what do you finished. call what we do? We call, collaborate on many projects. Yeah, okay. And when we don't finish a project, it's like a stone in my shoe. Oh, you know, we finished the basement. Yep. A Super Eight film. Dead weight. Uh, Dead weight, which I uh, should really put on YouTube, even though you're like, oh no. no. <laughs> and we shot a music video called Windmill. <laughs> Oh, my God. Don't tell me you finished that. Didn't finish it. Good. Don't but we never finished it. It deserves to be unfinished. Yeah. The song was okay. The song was all right, but the band was very uncooperative. What kind of problems did we have? Do you recall? Oh, they were late. They didn't want to do this shot. Uh, they weren't very, you know. We found a windmill oh, in South I Jersey. Have to find that we footage. had to drive down there and get it. It's ridiculous. I, I hope I salvaged that footage. It was ridiculous. It would be worth seeing just because of that. No. I don't think so. I can see it in my mind now. I don't need to see it on a TV. You know what the problem with that project was? And this ca- this can't happen. Midway ego. through the project. Not our ego. No. Oh, ego of the uh, artist. Halfway through, we kind of knew. The guy was. No, we knew it was going to. Like, it just kind of fell apart. We knew it was in a bad investment of our time. I think we didn't edit, finish editing it because we. I think those guys are so kind of difficult to deal with that mm-hmm. we didn't have much of a drive to be like. Right. It's just like, this is not going to go anywhere. Yeah. Hmm. And they were like, on our next video, you guys are going to get paid a lot of money. Yeah, this is going to send you right to the top. Fella. I think they were uh, going to sign with RCA, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah, Mr. RCA was ready to put pen to paper. Yep. For windmill. <laughs> Anyhow, so Lomo Kino. Uh, you know, what's in the bag? I always ask, what's in the bag? What's in the bag? I mean, holy smokes, it takes me half an hour to pick a camera just mm-hmm. to go to Max Diner. <laughs> so to go to England, right. but for me, somehow it becomes amazingly simple for me, almost easier than, mm-hmm. because it all comes down to, to, this should be the economic show, it all comes down to the economics right. of how much space do you have to pack. Right. Yeah, how much space you have to pack and what you want to represent. And how much pain do you want to be in during the day? Mm-hmm. Like, I remember the New York 2011 walk, mm-hmm. photo walk. I mean, Matt had his 8x10 camera, but he had, like, one of these big wooden metal tripods. Mm-hmm. Must have been very heavy. Well, we took turns helping him carry it. Well, that's nice. But it's it's something you don't want to walk around with all day. And no I was way. mentioning to him, I'm like, Matt, why don't you scale it down to, like, this guy? See, it's Bogan. Uh-huh. It's not considered a great tripod. Will that hold his camera? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, much lighter. That's amazingly lighter. Doesn't look as, uh, you know, cool. So since in England, Lomography is sort of the focus, I'm shooting motion picture Lomo Kino. Mm-hmm. I'm going to bring... Um, La Sardinia? Well, yes, I was going to bring La... I was, I'm going to leave the uh, Olympic Stylist Epic at home. I'll bring mine. And bring the La Sardinia. That's going to be your instant or, <clears throat> excuse me, no frills uh, camera. Yeah. I think I'm going to bring a, I can't, how can I not bring a Polaroid pack camera? Well, of course. I remember last year, you had so much film in your suitcase. <laughs> for the, You had the mini stacks and then you had. Mini stacks. stacks mini. <laughs> and then you had the, uh, like, 20 rolls of. What was it? Twenty packs of Fuji FP one hundred. And then you had Impossible stuff, didn't you? No, you didn't bring Impossible. No, no Impossible stuff last year. Just Fuji. It was Fuji. But do you remember I was like jo- joyful because I knew that as I used the film, couldn't wait to shoot that stuff. All the waste would be left <laughs> in the UK. <laughs> I don't think you were joyful about 
littering the UK. No, 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 no. I was joyful that I didn't have to carry it. Right. Like, it was a one-way trip. Right. So, yeah. so, like, struggle with this to get it there. Right. And then just, you know. And then, but you replaced all that weight with frickin' chocolate. I have some exciting news. This is news that hasn't been realized yet, but it's in the works. Mm-hmm. Uh, yesterday, myself and uh, Paige Davis, who's a part of the project development here with FPP, we were on the phone with a representative from Eastman Kodak. Oh, is that right? That's right. Yeah, what did he have to say? She. She have to say. We are talking with them about uh, getting film to give out at meetups. Great. Fantastic. And mm. the, the most breaking news. Breaking news. Is that, oh, why do we have to carry all this film over the UK when they have a UK depot? Oh, dear. And they could ship the film right to Darren Pancho Riley. And then let him hump it. <laughs> well, well, no, it's, you know, well, no. This is a travel across the pond. Can't you just uh, mail it to the hotel we're staying at? No. Well, Darren's going to put bags together. Oh, I see. He's going to. Himself, wow. He and Becky, who we met last year. Yes. And he folks on the photo walk last year in the UK, remember, uh, uh, Pancho and Becky. Mm-hmm. Are gonna, I'm going to send stickers over. Wow. So he's going to put like a little bag together. That's awful nice of him. Yeah. That's a lot of well, a lot of. BS. So this is happening like, this is like not realized yet. This is what's in the works. Does he know about it? So hopefully, I don't. We don't show up in England. Everyone shows up and like, where's oh. my film? We know we're like, up oh, fell through. Oh. Hi, Lamar. We're gonna meet Lamar. Up, oh, nope, fell through. You yanks, <laughs> get out. <laughs> so I'm gonna bring a pack camera. Although um, the fil- the camera I brought last year. Was one of these little guys, mm-hmm. the inst- mini Instax, as you call it. Instax mini. I brought the the piano black. Do you remember? It was Fuji? It was little, right. really small. Yeah. What's that one? This is the Polaroid Mio. Oh. This is this came out in the year 1999. We'll talk about this in a few minutes. So I haven't decided yet, but it's going to be light. Right. Well, do you think that? Oh, I want an instant camera, of course, and then I want. Uh, medium format. You're nope. not going to bring a medium format, are you? Uh, I would love to bring a medium format, but so clunky. It's not mm, because I'm doing the Lomo Kino. I'm not going to mm. have time to carry it or really concentrate yeah. on it. I thought about bringing my Holga medium format, my Holga um, 120 N. Mm-hmm. It's just a little square piece of plastic. You have a Polaroid back. Uh, excuse me, Polaroid back on that? Right there. Look at that. Uh, there you go. So that. bring that. Nah. Why not? Um, if I'm going to shoot with my Holga, I'm going to shoot on 120 film. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, you, do you know what you're bringing? Yeah. What are you bringing? I'm bringing my X700 SLR Minolta. <clears throat> Which you did not bring last year. No, I did bring it last year. Okay. That's, that's I bring that with me everywhere. It's my baby. It's your go-to camera. It is. And um, I'm going to bring a lens or two for that. And then I'm going to bring, I think I'm going to bring the uh, Diana F. Tori Amos edition. That Lomography, I got it at the Lomography store last year. What is it called? It's a Diana F. You bring a uh, John's bringing Tori Amos with him. Yes. <laughs> She's a guilty pleasure, I must say. I love her music for some reason. What is the Tori Amos camera? It's just a, it has her autograph on it. But what kind of camera is it? it? It's a Diana F. Oh, it's a Diana F. Yes. So I got the 120 flash or 35? 35. 35. No way. Yeah. For real? Yeah, that's what we humped back last year. Remember? But you but you haven't you haven't shot with it. No, that's oh. why I'm going to break it out. It has a flash or no flash? Flash. 
<laughs> built in on, or on the side? No, it's a uh, removable. Goes on top. Wow, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's nice. It has a couple of different lenses for it, so uh, I'm going to break it out. I think. Are there any particular film stocks you're like? Oh, I want to shoot this type of film stock, or eh, you don't really care. Uh, I do care. I wish I knew. You know, had more time to research like what would be more suitable f- for that look. The look the camera gives. Now, have you shot and developed any Kodak Portra yet? Portra, of the course. New Portra. Yeah. Do, do you notice? Like, do you any idiosyncrasies or uh, characteristics? characteristics of it that you immediately like compared to let's say the Walmart film or other stuff you've been shooting oh well I mean the uh, can you tell a difference I can tell a difference definitely much richer colors you get a better uh, better highlight although sometimes I tend to shoot a little hot so my highlights get a little blown out so that's something I need to curb with that film because it is pretty uh, responsive but it has a pretty wide latitude Stuff showed up in a couple of shots I took that I really did not think were, was going to show up. Kodak, the new Kodak Portra has, we've been uh, well, uh, waxing poetic mm-hmm. about it for over a year. It is amazing. Yeah. And I think we really should do another show about talking what about scanning. Sh- what show? <laughs> because I'll shoot some ectochrome, mm-hmm. which is slide film, or I'll shoot some other, I'll shoot some, some other film stocks, and it's a bear to scan. Yeah, And why? I'm sure both Mark and Dane will like be right on that. Why? Because of contrast or uh, everything? Like you'll scan in, and then it comes, pops up, and it'll be like blue, really, purple, really. And you have to go. And I think it freaks people out who are scanning who are not used to color correction. And I'm fortunate because I mean, my whole life is sort of devoted to color correction, working on motion mm-hmm. pictures, mm-hmm. always in telecine, yeah. right. which telecine is motion picture film that is scanned, so it can be on high definition video. Right. So I'm not the colorist, but I'm sitting there watching Dave or Bruce bring up the picture. It's never right. Look at it, and you're always like, oh. And they have to dial in a setting for that particular scene. Now, is it just because the slide film, when they develop it, it looks purplish? Well, the difference between, let's say, Kodak Ektachrome... That's not a good comp. Well, I mean, I never... What do the negatives look like? Because you look at, you know, a regular 35, and it's like yellowish. You know, or orange. Well, to to me, uh, Portra leans towards yellow. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ektar leans towards red, in my opinion, from what I've noticed. The Portra is the most scannable film I've ever worked with. Oh. It's, if you underexpose, great. If you overexpose, great. Mm. A few minor tweaks, if even needed. Really? I scan some stuff that needed no tweaks. Wow. Yeah. I'm a Kodak man. Mm-hmm. Tried and true, like... Shot Kodak my whole life. Mm-hmm. There's no Fuji stock that add uh, that adds up in your estimation. Uh, the Fuji stock gives a whole different look, and I shot the Smooth Sailors with the Lomo. No, I shot the Smooth Sailors with my Mamiya M645 mm-hmm. Fuji stock. It was Fuji. No, it's right here. Fuji Pro 400H. It's a ne- it's a color negative film, mm-hmm. and it leans. I think it leads towards cyan. Mm. Uh, if you go to my uh, Flickr, Michael Rosso Flickr, you'll see a shot of Dane. He's heavily backlit, and it created a very unique look mm-hmm. that I was not used to because I don't use Fuji stocks. So that's the wonderful thing about film. You get, as you get used to the stocks, you can kind of like you know pick and choose mm-hmm. of what kind of look you're going for. So now that I've used the Fuji, occasionally I have some in stock. I'll be like, oh, I'm in a cyan mood. <laughs> okay. So, we're both going light. Yeah, I'm bringing three cameras. Yeah. I think that's more than We enough. need to figure out a way. How do we, the group that arrives at our meetups, 
How do we figure out how to collectively get to look at everyone's images? What do you mean? We need like a Dropbox so that everyone who shoots, we get to see what they shot. I don't know. I think I'm going to give out my card by email address and ask everyone to just oh. zip them up and send them over. Ship them up. Yeah. I just posted my shots from the PDN. How, how, how long ago? That was in October. When did you post year. them? Last uh, month. Like my dad. He shoots uh, pictures in Christmas. Mm-hmm. We're talking like, you know, 1970s here. Right. And then you'll, you'll see them maybe in April. Yeah, that's what happens. I yeah. just dropped two rolls off at Target. Today. Just now. Talk about Target. John, on his way here, he brought, mm. he brought uh, some film mm-hmm. to be processed at Target. And you walked in. What was you ex- explain your experience? Um, well, it's fascinating to find a film counter in Target, first of all. Because the Target by me doesn't have one. We'll talk about that in two seconds. Yeah. It's going away. <gasps> what? We'll talk about it. We'll t- talk uh, about your experience. Geez. The lanky dude was standing there, and I said, I need to develop some film. He's like, here you go. And right away, he walked over and gave me an envelope, even though they were in plain sight. Had I taken the time to look, I would have found it. And then I asked him if I could get these done this afternoon. He's like, let me see. And he took a look at the rolls to make sure that, you know, they weren't uh, That's how he does <laughs> slide film or something that he couldn't develop. Did they develop slide there? No. Oh. So he looked at it, and he's like, gave me the nod. Okay. It's a couple hours. I'm like, great. Do you guys have CDs? Like, yeah, they're two ninety nine. Because I don't scan yet, and I can't afford my uh, Epson, <laughs> Epson scanner quite yet. So, so you're getting uh, the processed and scans. You're getting prints? No, no prints. It's a waste of money for me. You'd rather crop, scan yourself, and then yeah, send it out. exactly. I agree. Yeah, because, you know, out of, John's a, roll of out of, out of a roll of 36, you know, how many film how many shots you're really going to use exactly like tops 10 it'd be like oh those are nice well okay so we'll, we'll be talking more about our bag it was pleasant yeah let's take yeah. a break but these breaks are going to be great because yeah. we're going to do some live spots oh that's fun live spots yeah okay that's the way radio used to be yes still is in some spots. basically john i want to record a live spot yeah and i may use it at a later date as the spot that's what i've been doing gotcha and it's fun now, the meetup spot is not going to be that exciting because we only can run it so long. Yeah. But let's try. We'll try our hand at it. And okay. you should be like uh, hyper-realistic, John. Hyper-realistic? Yeah. <laughs> well, so, hey, we'll be right back. Hey, this is Michael Rossa from the Film Photography Podcast, and I'm here in the studio with John. Hey, everybody. How are you? I'm here to announce our spring meetups and events. This is going to be great. First up is our New York City photo walk on Saturday, May 19th. It's going to be a beautiful day. The day starts at Lomography on 8th Street. Mm. Yep. Donuts? Possibly. Okay. <laughs> and we're going to be going on a photo walk, and we go on a photo walk that leads us to the Impossible Project Space NYC, where we're going to be greeted by none other than the Smooth Sailors. Oh, my goodness. Exactly. That'll be fun. Now, what FPPers need to know that inside, this is like modular, inside the Smooth Sailors is Pink Delicates. Yes, that's right. This is like a double joy. The day is organized by Dan Domi. So come out and meet myself, Michael Rosso, John Fideli, Matt Mirage, Dane Johnson, Mark, and lots more. And Kevin from the Pink Delicates. FPP Photo Walk, Saturday, June 9th, 2012, London. Yes. Day includes a meetup at Lomography. Mm-hmm. We're, f- we're doing a photo walk. Yes. And we'll have a grand finale back at Lomography with yeah. the Smooth Sailors. Yeah. A, a more truncated version than the New York walk. Oh, and, truncated personnel. Uh, yes. And Darren Pancho Riley. Yes. Our we'll UK correspondent. It'll be a blast. 
Yep. There will be refreshments. There will be refreshments. The Analog Pulse Weekend, mm. which is run by the Aperture Photography and Variety Store in Cleveland, Ohio. Where else can you buy film, cameras, and Rock'em Sock'em robots? Wow. Oh, that's where you took that picture with Matt. Yeah. That's a great picture. It's an old-timey store with, like, it used to be a soda pop shop. Right. Uh, Scott Myvogel, who runs the shop, has it kind of filled with old-timey kind of fun things. Well, it's also sponsored by us, Film Photography Project, A&A Studios, and Old School Photo Lab. It's three days. Wow. Starting on the 29th of June. 30th of June, then July 1st. So pack your uh, sleeping bag. Yeah, yeah. Get your get your kit together. Myself, I will be there. Matt Marash will be there. Dan Domi will be there. But you never know who's going to show up. Exciting. Who would show up? Alan White, what are you doing here? I don't know. I'm lost. <laughs> I'm looking for Steve Howe. Now, the key is to go to the Film Photography Project website, filmphotographyproject.com, and the lead story will be meetups. Mm-hmm. That's where we read about all the fine details. Like, for example, in New York... We're organizing a Lomo Kino workshop. Oh, is that right? That's right. That would be fun. Yep. And the Day of the Walk? The Day of the Walk. Walk. The great thing about Lomography stores is you could get your film processed. Mm-hmm. You can go to Lomography in store, you could get your film processed. Kodak Company is happy to bring you America's favorite family, the Nelsons, Ozzy, Harriet, David, and Ricky. They enjoy good times together, and like most of us, they enjoy good times over again in pictures. And now, let's join the Nelsons in Hawaii. In Hawaii, it's traditional to toss these flowers into the water as you leave. If they float back to shore, it said that you're sure to come back again. I hope that's true, but there is one sure way to enjoy your vacation over again. Just take lots of movies. Well, you can just about feel those waves right now. Today, taking movies is easier than it ever was. This Brownie automatic movie camera adjusts itself to changing light automatically. You can take a shot like this one in the sun, and this one in the shade, and both shots come out fine, automatically. It's a great way to enjoy your vacation again and again. Color movies made with a Brownie automatic movie camera. Kodak's Brownie automatic movie camera costs $77.50 or as little as $8 down. Other Brownie movie cameras start at $34.50. Remember, only a Brownie gives you so much pleasure at so low a cost. And now Kodak invites you to enjoy... The Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet. Target stores in the USA. I was told by the same lanky lad and by Mark, F, uh, by Smooth Sailor Mark, Mark that Mark Dalzell, you call him Dazel? Dazel? I don't know. Dal, Dal, I call him Dalzell. Dalzell? Yeah. Well, when you said, did I get that name right? And he said, yep, Mark is right. <laughs> so he didn't comment on the last one. No, he didn't so say a damn thing. So he already started the campaign. 
Yeah. He went to the uh, he went to the Target. This is Target stores in the United States. He went to Target website and he wrote a letter. So if yeah, you, what do you think that's going to do? I think that Target needs to know that people use that this. people care. I, I don't know what it's going to do. They look at their bottom line. If they see that there's not a lot of money being generated from it, then the, they're going to say, well, obviously people don't care. Cause well, it's pro- don't the problem the is that we feel, I'm speaking for myself and for Mark, that it's very short-sighted because Mark drops off his film, then mm-hmm. he shops for an hour, oh. and he buys like $50, $60 worth of stuff. I see. Then picks up his film. Right. And Target has, has initiated a supermarket in the store now. Right. So now they expanded. So now you can do your food shopping there. While you wait for your prints so or your, it's, your negatives. You could drop a hunch, no problem. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. You do a little food shopping, buy some fresh underwears. Yeah. All you know, next thing you know, socks, ching. retro T-shirts. Right. <laughs> they do have retro T-shirts. Yeah. I bought a uh, bazooka bubblegum shirt there. So I think it's short-sighted. Yeah, perhaps you're right. So you're saying it's it's something that they can lose money on. That department, because they'll make a little money elsewhere. That's right. Because when I go back to pick up my film today, yep. i got to buy a couple of things. That's and right. that's why I dropped it off there as opposed to the CVS. I'm glad we're all on the same page here. If you go to the uh, Film Photography Project website, filmphotographyproject.com, that's us. <laughs> You'll see right on the homepage, save target film processing. We're not trying to save the world here. We're not going to be marching we're not going to be carrying signs, but I think it's important that we all tell Target how we feel in a positive way. And it's so freaking cheap. It's wonderful. It's, CVS is is a buck ninety nine. No, two ninety nine. What about process only? Process only two ninety nine for thirty six exposures. Target is ninety five cent. Yeah, it's ridiculous. for thirty six. Anything. Feet. Feet. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and then their CD is uh, two ninety nine. Is that right? So yeah, I can walk out of there for under five bucks a roll. Yeah. Let's. Uh, now, what do you want to talk? We about? We want to have a history lesson. Yeah, I think this will be interesting. Yeah, uh, Matt Marash is going to talk about the origins of photography. And uh, hey, Matt, what's going on? Tell us. Hey, everybody, Matt Marash here, and I'm going to talk to you today, really quick, about the origins of photography. You know, photography is one of the youngest artistic processes out there. You know, not modern adaptations of known art and things like that. But, you know, photography's only been around since the since the mid-1800s. And a lot of images have happened since then. You know, we, we upload more images to Facebook a day than were uploaded in the entire 19th century. Or not uploaded, but taken in the 19th century. It's kind of amazing how visual imagery has become an integral part of our society. It's just everywhere. It's Some people, you know, accuse it of polluting the online presence and the experience. But not too long ago, photography was just this this art that people didn't know where it was going to go and they were taking from other art that existed at the time and you know if you want to learn more about the art of photography or you know how to make your images have that artistic feel to them or you know very well thought out feel all you have to do is go look back at traditional art masters look at some of the the masters of oil painting you know people have you ever heard of rembrandt lighting well there's a reason because rembrandt used a very unique lighting look Look at the lighting of some oil paintings from uh, French and Spanish artists back in the you know 1415 and 1600s. Even even through the late 1800s, they had very um, interesting styles. Look uh, look at pre-impressionistic oil painting. It has a 
really really interesting feel to it. There was a lot of very cool realism. Even some of the, the early 1900s realism has something that you can borrow and utilize in your own photography. Look at old still lives. Oh my gosh. The lighting there is just gorgeous. The attention to detail, the attention to line, shape, form, you know, rule of thirds, color theory, they're all wonderful things you can look back on to kind of reflect and help your photography out and say, you know, what am I doing with my photography that harks back to this this traditional art? On the other side of the coin, there's printmaking because photography is make, about making a print, about making a photographic image on paper. A lot of the alternative photographic processes borrow from traditional printmaking processes. In fact, I'm doing a process right now called photogravure, which is taking a photograph and through a kind of semi-carbon transfer printing, making a plate, a, a zinc or copper plate, copper in my case, and print, making an etching print with a photograph. And it's kind of combining the two. And even though it's ridiculously hard and expensive to do, it feels like what I'm making is art. And it's a, it's a hand-pulled print. And there's just this, this feel that you're doing something that's bigger than taking a digital image and playing with it in Photoshop. There's, there's a lot of hands-on work involved. And I think we can learn a lot as photographers by looking back at artists, not just photographers, from the 19th century, 18th century, 17th century, the, the masters of all those eras have something that we can use in our own photography to just make it better or make it, um, make it feel more artistic or meaningful. So please study traditional art a little bit. Not, you know, not a lot. This is all something that can be done with five and ten minutes of Google searching and maybe a couple of cool YouTube videos on contemporary artists. But look at what other artists are doing, even contemporary artists. See if you can apply that to your own photography. I think you'll be surprised with what you come up with. So thanks a lot for listening and get out there and make some art. So, hey, thanks, Matt. Um, what's interesting is that Matt mentioned that in the late 1800s, mm -hmm. only a few images were made, like, mm -hmm. per year. Right. Compared to, like, the mega upload that happens today. Yeah, my God. It was, I mean, it's just Some people overkill. on their Flickr account have, like, 9,000 photos. I see folks. This was what was bugging. Who was the guy in England? Oh, uh, Jeremy? Jeremy. This is what bugs Jeremy. People in upload the UK. everything. I go, I'll occasionally I go, and you'll see, like, oh, someone's trip to New York. Great. You'll see Every 15 day. images of the same exact image because yeah. everyone just uploaded their disc. Yeah. Stoops. Lazy. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's lazy and boring. It's a, different, it's a different animal. These people are not photographers. They're just recording frames. Right. They're just storing their film. They're storing their shots, basically. I don't know what type of person does that. It takes... 12 of the same shot. I don't know. Not me. Take maybe three of the same shot and then pick the best. Who that? Trackman? No, it's not Trackman. Uh, it's Bill Apresino. Oh, the FPP wow. uh, shipping department. Williams? Buddy. Hey, you're... FPP question. Oh, wait, wait. You're on the Film Photography Podcast. <laughs> it's a silly question, but I'm like, what's the... Uh, and maybe the FPP listeners can uh, can all chime in and, and win a prize. What's the uh, flash bar look like? So I'm looking at all the flashes, and I need a flash bar. Okay. Uh, this is uh, right. William in the FPP store. Uh, and the, the flash bar is at the on the bottom shelf, and they're they're fl they're rectangular and flat. They're okay, on the bottom shelf uh, under the under the PX film or on the Oh, I see. Flash bar. It was hidden. Yeah. There we are. I know. I, I, I knew what it looks like. I just uh, 
lovely than Sid. Thank you very much. Oh, you're very welcome. welcome. Is everything super? Hello, everybody out there in <laughs> FPP land. Oh, anything you want to say to our customers that happen to listen to the podcast? Uh, yes, I definitely want to see more of the uh, the uh, Polaroid film that you're all taking. I'm definitely interested in seeing what the uh, subject matter is of your Polaroid oh, film. You want to see what, what people are sna- what people are snapping. He thinks people yeah. are up to stuff, private stuff. Oh. <laughs> right, Bill? Absolutely. I think we need to bring, bring back some of the old fun. You're a cheeky monkey, aren't you? <laughs> well, you guys have a good podcast, and uh, FVP listeners definitely want to see your uh, Polaroids. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll put a shout-out. Okay, talk to you soon. Bye. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Hey, everyone out there that let uses you may know, you may not know that Film Photography Podcast Project, we have a store. It's called FilmPhotographyStore.com, and we stock Polaroid cameras. We stock Impossible Film. We stock Fuji Pack Film. We stock Kodak Film. We stock some Fuji Film. And Instax Mini. Instax, Instax Mini Film Cameras. Mini Instax. Uh, Polaroid 300 Camera. Polaroid pack cameras. Pretty much all of your SX photography needs. And that was William. William works in the FPP store. Uh, and uh, this is our first year, coming up on our first year, our anniversary. And um, Bill wants to know, because everyone's buying so much instant stuff from us. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, what do you guys, what is it you guys shooting? He seemed to think that people were shooting... Nudes. <laughs> 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 I think that I should put the word out to our customers via email that, hey, we're going to put a gallery together of FPP store, like FPP customers. Images shot on film bought from the FPP store. Yeah, that's a great idea. Sure. Yeah. So if anyone's out there that buys from the store and you have been shooting. And uh, you're proud of some of the photos you've taken. Yes, just send a... Um, Send a few images and a little few words to me at podcast at at, at filmphotographyproject.com. dot com. That would be awesome. Yeah, that would be very interesting. Yeah, and there is a listener. Uh, well, I'm not to interrupt, but there are people from all over the world <laughs> buying this. You're shipping out all over the world, the- so it'll be interesting to see you know the different corners of the world. Yep, indeed. Hey, so what's new and exciting regarding? Instant film, uh, and that is that Impossible Project just announced some new film, their mm-hmm. cool line of film. And Impossible has said, we're going to be releasing new film twice a year now. Wow. <clears throat> I wish they had more of that. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Well, you know what? I, I'm going to have to reverse my position on the Impossible Project. <laughs> yes! <laughs> yes! The PX70 is, I think, a perfect balance of what this film is trying to, not trying to do, but what the best of really artistic and just really document, documenting something. Right. You know, it's a nice mixture of the two. It's all in the past now. You have like amazingly it. warmed up to the concept. I have, because, you know, and I wish they would stop now, because now, they, you ever think they're going to get to the point where it's like Fuji instant film, where it's just, you know. Well, that's the big question, and the thing is, what... What I am seeing now is that now that the film chemistry is different mm-hmm. and easier to use, I miss some of the really early film, like uh, uh, PX70 Push now, film. Now, did they, um, they discontinue that stuff? They're, o- they're old batches, and when they're done, they're done. Oh, really? Mm. It had a pink... 
tone to it. It was unique, and now I have no more choice. It's gone. Yeah. So that I think becomes valuable. Any of the negative chat that's been like like uh, uh, here and about, it's all just it's just chatter. Because I mean, even oh my god, I shot a possible, and a month later, my picture disappeared. Mm-hmm. I went to my archive. I pulled an image I shot in the spring of 2010, which the was the original? first year. The image was fine. Yeah. It's how it's stored. Right. Now, there's not a lot of humidity here in New Jersey. Um, the temperature in the studio is always 70 degrees, mm-hmm. winter or, you know. So there's no real temperature change, and things are storing just fine. Can't leave it to the whims of nature. But if you're in a different part of the country mm-hmm. and, or a different part of the world, and there's extreme humidity, and you look at your image and it's full of mold, Ugh. what are you, you going to do? It's all in the past now. Our man on the street, Hunter White, sashayed down to impossible. <laughs> Does he sashay? Type, type in sashay. Sashay means to kind and of... Google. A little voice like thing comes up. Fred Astaire. Oh, how to say it? Yeah, No, it just pops up. Like, t- just type in Google, sashay. It's like a thing pops up with a little speaker, and you hit it. Sashay. S-A-S-H-A-Y. That's what I thought. Sashay. Sashay. That's great. Mm. That's uh, nice. Hunter sashayed down to Impossible, where he chatted with uh, Keisha. You know, Hunter reminds me a lot of Bill. Bill, Bill Apresino, who just... Bill Apresino in the, in the uh, shipping department. Skinny guy with glasses, yep. like kind of hip. Yep. Kind of. Oh no, he doesn't think he's hip. That's why he's hip. Oh, exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can't just be cool. No, you're cool. Cool is. Cool is. You can't help it if you're cool. Yep. It's Like you can't help it if you're a boy or a girl. Cool is, and cool is impossible now. And I'll tell you what's cool about impossible. They are issuing two new films twice a year now, and they're working on wow. a. Ca- they're working on a camera. Oh really? Yeah. That's news. That is news. Breaking news. Let's hear it. Let's I hear can't it. wait to hear it. Yeah, here we go. This is Hunter White with the Film Photography Podcast, and I'm here sitting in the Impossible New York City space with Keisha Bari, um, and we're going to talk a little bit about what's up for Impossible in 2012. How are you today, Keisha? Good, thanks, Hunter. How are you? Pretty good. Beautiful day in the city. It's lovely. I guess, can you just kind of give us an overview of what's new in 2012? Well, we um, have just released our brand new cool film, which uh, came out last week, and our spectra film will be released in the next couple of days. Uh, we are endeavouring to release a, a new range of films um, twice a year at the moment, So, um, and each new film batch is supposed to be what well, is better and stronger and you know has a lot more features and has a better color and contrast so we're just trying to improve on, on everything we have so far so it's very very exciting every time we you know release new new films so that's the biggest thing at the moment um, this New York space itself uh, has a lot going on in 2012 we currently have um, it's not only a shop but it is a project space and we have gallery exhibitions and artist talks and a number of workshops and um, it's just really great place for the community to really we're trying to build a place for the analog instant community to come and and hang out and um, and learn about all of the new films and all of the cameras. So, um, yeah, we have a great jam-packed program set up for the rest of the year, which is uh, really exciting. Speaking of, I guess, new film, kind of the, one of the things that I've noticed on the site is the old-generation film bag. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is exactly? It's just our expired film. So well, it's not really expired. It's just sort of the last generation of films. So we, when we bring out a new batch of film, it's much stronger, and um, we need to you know sell off the old 
film, which in, in itself has ended up being limited edition film batches because once we finish that production run of film, we're never going to release it again. It's just, it's gone forever. So there's things like the uh, PX70 Push film, which had a very, very distinct flavour. It was very pink and um, magenta and um, ended up having a blue cast. It would shift blue, but in some cases, some photographers really dug that because it was something you could never replicate on digitally or any other kind of film so they've decided to create whole entire works based on that film and when we released the old generation film bags of that film everyone went a bit crazy because it was super cheap. <laughs> yeah, I mean, kind of the neat thing about Impossible is the randomness. I mean, it's it's kind of it's more old school, which I think is what everybody kind of likes about it. It's more like digital. It's kind of boring. It's like, oh, you're going to get a flat, boring picture, but with Impossible, you get kind of an interesting. You never know exactly what you're going to get. I mean, it's the same for us too. When we get it in the store, we always testing and. Um, the new material that comes out of the factory, and it's always, you know, cross our fingers. Let's hope it, you know, comes out the, you know, as perfect as we want it. But sometimes the quirks are part of the process and yeah. part of the charm of it. And it beats sitting in front of a computer for four hours trying to manipulate yeah. an image to make it look like impossible film now. And we've, we've created a, a film that has definitely got its uh, own characteristics, which yeah. nothing, nothing really compares to, which we love. Yeah. Yeah. Also, with the SX-70, there's kind of... Can you give, tell us a little bit about the flash bar that you guys have put out? The mint bar? Um, it's just an electronic uh, flash for the SX-70, which um, uh, is really sleek in, in design. It's really, it, just, it basically is no bigger than the original flash bar for the SX-70. It takes two AAA batteries, and um, which, I mean, at the end of the day, we can't replicate the old flash bars, but right. we st- there's still quite a few around in the world, but once they all run out... Um, then you know we need to have some kind of electronic flash to keep servicing um, those SX70s. Um, however, it is much more environmentally friendly to have an electronic flash bar than it is to have flash bars, the yeah. ex- expired flash bars. Yeah. So. I don't know if you've heard on the internet there are some rumors of a new camera you guys are putting out. Can you speak a little bit about that? Just a little bit of. At this particular point in time, we are. I can confirm that we are developing our own camera. Um, we, it probably won't be for a while yet. Okay. Um, we are definitely just working on film for the moment, um, mostly, uh, especially because we have another film range to be released later on this year. And yeah, eight by ten film should be released later on this year. And we also got, a, but we also have a few other camera products up our sleeve for the for the fall. So that's that's pretty exciting. But the camera itself. Let's see. Okay, so is 8x10 coming this year? Because we have a bunch of large format 8x10 guys. So. I'm sure you do. Um, yeah, we are too. But yes, I, I can't f- confirm any kind of dates as okay. yet because they're still working on it. But it, it, we, we're definitely trying to work on releasing some kind of 8x10 by the end of the year. I mean, we mentioned earlier that we're in this, this New York City space. Can you give us a little more information about that? Kind of what makes it unique? It is the only United States space as of now, right? Absolutely. Yeah, with, um, we have just opened up a new Paris store, uh, or about to open up a new Paris store, and we just opened up a new Vienna store. Um, we have one in Tokyo, but this is the only US, well, a North American store. It's, it's um, the only place you can physically talk to somebody about the film and your product, apart from our partner stores, and actually view 
um, the the current exhibitions, things that are featured on our website, and also get every single camera that is quite currently available, yeah. which is really special as well. We have quite limited edition cameras in the space and um, any kind of Polaroid camera that you could imagine. Yeah. Uh, converted Polaroid cameras to take the new integral film as well. Sometimes we have um, pinhole cameras, um, just a, every single SX-70, the you know, last 680s. So it's, it's really kind of a camera museum as well yeah. in some ways but most of them are working which is great yeah. but we also have um, a huge gallery space um, it's beautiful as you can see beautiful yeah. light windows and um, it's a stunning gallery space so we have our north wall over here which is based on uh, our latest material our newest and best material so we display that on the north wall and that rotates maybe um, every quarter and then on the south wall we have a another exhibition wall which rotates probably every four to six weeks and we feature up-and-coming artists um, that are shooting impossible film only so it's definitely based on impossible film we try not to show um old polaroid works because um well, we don't really yeah, think there's not much can, point yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. so we really really want to push you know our impossible medium and so we feature you know artists doing great great stuff on our on our walls so currently we actually have a staff exhibition which is all the uh U.S. Impossible staff, and uh, which is a great exhibition because it shows what, where the film has come from from the very beginning. So some of it's from our PX, first PX100 SX70 first flush film, like the very very first film we released, and some of it's our brand new like and film that is just you know beautiful stunning colour for the SX70. So um, it's a really great uh, range of yeah. photography. However, we do have some upcoming events where we have an SX, we have workshops here all the time as well so the SX70 workshop is probably coming up the soonest on May May 20th um, so people can learn have a brief history of the SX70 camera learn how to get the best out of the SX70 and also learn about all the film range and how to work it the best and store it and uh, work with all the different film types um, we also have a show opening uh, on the south wall by Fabrice Najari and Variel, who are two French photographers who went to Afghanistan and um, uh, travelled through the Wakhan corridor and uh, photographed all the villages on, on NSX-70. And their show opens on May 3rd, but they're also doing an artist talk on May 24th, Thursday, okay. May 24th, and they're going to talk about all their experiences about, you know, taking their pack mules up in the mountains with solar panels and all of their all of their crazy journey so that's really exciting um and on the june 5th we have a exhibition by the um curated by the east village boys and it's in conjunction with um queer new york international arts festival um so we have uh, there's a collaboration of a uh, many photographers that are showing um, that work on June 5th, which is really exciting. So we're going to have a big party here too. I mean, it really is kind of an amazing space. I mean, the first camera I ever used was in an old, more obscure Polaroid, and I haven't seen it anywhere, and it's sitting right there. So that's kind of a neat... Which one is The it? forest green one. Um, oh, the Express. Yeah. It's a 600 Express. Yeah. We call it the frog because it looks like a frog. Yeah. Yeah, and the blue one, it comes in a blue and a green, and the blue one's the whale and the green one's the frog. Well, that all sounds really good. Thank you again, Keisha. All right. The Polaroid 1000 Instant Camera, the world's simplest camera. It's the exciting present that lets you enjoy your pictures in minutes in brilliant colour for instant excitement, instant laughter, instant fun.
Hold on, one thousand. Hey, we're back. Hold on, let me chew these peas first. <laughs> that was really awesome, and uh, you let me chew these peas. I'm talking. Yeah, but uh, people hear me chewing in their ear. Uh, Sorry. Uh, Keisha talked about the old generation film bag. That's the bag of film that Dane's been buying. Right. It's half price. Yeah, he loves that stuff. Here we are, middle of May. If it's still available, grab it. It is great because it's half price, and you're getting the old stock. Yep. And you're getting all the defects. And people are buying it and loving it because you can't buy that anymore. Nope. So the, the very thing that everyone complained about is now Hot. sought after. Yep. Impossible film, which, by the way, is new film, of course, for, for older Polaroid cameras. And it won't be long before John Fidelli has his own SX-70 mm-hmm. or maybe Polaroid 600 camera. I, th- I think you'd like uh, the fold-up one, yeah. the sonar. Yeah. Well, with the bug eye on it. Best. Yeah. I haven't used anything since then. Best. Jo- which one is Joseph's camera? He's he got ha- a deluxe one. Oh, he has the, the beige. That's nice. Beige leather. Very nice That's uh, Series 1. It's not autofocus. Looks like a cigarette case almost. Yes, it does. That's the Alpha. Alpha? Yeah. Nice. Folks out there may or may not know that Film Photography Project, in our store, we sell the Impossible Project film. Is that right? That's right. Oh. And by this time, and by May 15th, today, mm-hmm. hopefully we have the cool film. How much do you save by buying it at FPP store? You don't save anything. Uh, same. But you do get extra stuff in your bag. It's like Bose. Bose B-O-S-E Bose Bose Stereo Products Wherever you buy them It's the same price everywhere You cannot get a discount on Bose If you buy it from FPP You do get FPP stickers Oh You do get little pictures We hang out Pictures? What pictures? We have all these images printed up Oh yeah? Like I sent a package to Darren Mm -hmm. And in that package We threw it in I didn't didn't think about it He's like Oh man That's an awful cool shot of Henrik (laughs) It's Henrik in his uh, weather gear oh, dear. with the Minolta 110 camera. Oh, right. I printed up pictures of that. It looks almost like a, a surreal ad. From like Sears. Yeah. I'm going to do that, I think. What do you mean? Do retro do, ads? Like, do like, next time Dane's in, like, do like a posed kind of shot with the camera mm-hmm. that looks like a Sears ad. Right. I like to see Dane like a IZOD shirt with the collar up. With that crazy beard of his? Yeah. That would be nuts. <laughs> So I'm pumped about Impossible, and I'm pumped about the uh, New York Walk. Mm, that's going to be fun. It's going to be great to see how many people show up. Yeah. How many people you have last year? I didn't make it. We had about 20. That's great. Yeah. I think we're going to have uh, maybe double. There was talk of, uh, you know, us actually, you know, of us getting a hotel and, you know, <laughs> trying to, like, get people to fly in and stuff. But that never came. Maybe next maybe year. Maybe next year. It would be great if there was a package, like if there was a recommended hotel where you get a discount. I'm sure we could figure something out. It doesn't take that much. No. I mean. But you have to guarantee a certain amount of people out for a rate. That's the only problem. We do have the PDN in, in October. Mm-hmm. But that was almost like, it's so massive, the PDN yeah. Photo Expo, yeah. that you get there and when you're done, you're ready to go home. Yeah. It's a day. Yeah, it's a day. Like ready to go walking out the streets of New York, especially last year since it was oh, snowing. snowing and hailing. Yeah. Let's uh, hear about our book of the month. Oh, great. Oh, you mean magazine of the month? Uh-oh. Secret. Oh, book of the month. Here it comes. Hey, everybody. Matt Mirage here. I'm going to do something a little bit differently today, and instead of talking about a book, we're going to be talking about my magazine of the month, and that is Photographer's Forum the magazine for the emerging professional. You can find them at pfmagazine.com. 
and they're actually a very you know cheap affordable nice uh nice well printed publication and really for a magazine that's currently in print i'm holding the back issues of winter 2011 and spring 2012 uh for $15 you can get a whole year of this magazine and to be perfectly honest you know it doesn't the the prints in here are so well done that it doesn't really matter if the the folks shooting in here are digital or film but in both of these issues that i'm holding there's at least two articles dedicated to people that still shoot on film it's more trying to get get your mind behind the professional or to kind of like really understand what the professional is using like sure there's going to be ad space but they're ads for things that aren't necessarily um you know, for the digital photographer, they could be for the film photographer as well. I've seen ads for scanners, really good tripods. You know, not just all this, all the newest digital cameras and such. I mean, they do have, let's see, maybe three pages dedicated to reviews on that kind of equipment. But then it's all about the art. It's all about the photographer and just kind of putting your mind in, in the place of that photographer. Um, I'm looking at a an article in here right now that's about a large format photographer that shoots... 8x10 and prints black and white silver and platinum palladium. So you really don't know um, what you're going to get with these, but you know it's going to be fairly balanced. And if you guys have picked up any current digital magazine publication, you know what I'm talking about. It's not it's not just shoving a, a bunch of electronics products down your throat. It's actually about photography, and the photography in them is is very, very good. It's inspiring. So Photographer's Forum the magazine for emerging professional photographers is a really good way to kind of stay current on things, read some great articles and have some content that is, you know, even when it comes to digital and film photography. So thanks a lot guys. And I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. Awesome. Let's uh, take a quick break. Mm -hmm. We do another live spot. Last one was so oh, it's awful. Are you sure you want to do another it one? wasn't a spot. It was a conversation. Yeah, it was terrible. I'm going to try it. All right. Hey, this is Michael Rosso from the Film Photography Podcast. I'm here in the store with John Fidelli. In the store. Oh. I could be in the store. Yeah, we're not. We're in the store. We're packing up orders. <laughs> hey, here we're in the store. Hey, we're in the store. Look at us. We're in the store. Hey, uh, where are those Lomo Kimo flashes? <laughs> <laughs> and what's great about the FPP store is what you don't realize is if you're shopping in the FPP store, you're helping the Film Photography Podcast because it helps keep us running. That's right. We so, don't buy Rolls Royces and stuff like that. No watches, no bling. No wearing our baseball hats sideways because of all the money we're making. You know why? Because it goes back to you. That's right. And we, the FPP, to help the FPP, we say donate. And donating means send, you ate them all? No, no. Shake them up. Wasabi, Wasabi peas. peas. Wasabi peas. You Wasabi. Could, you could donate a camera. You could donate some cash. You could go to the FPP store and purchase items. Because this helps spread the word. This helps get new people infected with gas. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're doing. Instead of turning them into zombies, we want to turn them into gas addicts. The, uh, <laughs> well. No? It's easier once like late at night. I just record the spots myself. Oh, yeah? Why? That's not good. I should just get sound bites from you and I just edit them in. They'll be like, oh, you're terrific. <laughs> Well, what's new in the FPP store? If you didn't know about it, we, are, we talked about this already. Mm -hmm. Well, it's more like donate. What does donating do? Let's say you donate a hunch to FPP. What happens to that? Wow. We eat like kings that night. No. <laughs> <laughs> Pays the electric bill. Oh, there you go. Yeah. See? FPP has its own studio. I have electric. 
Yeah. We have uh, expenses in mailing out all of our prizes. It doesn't pay the heat bill in here. It's freezing. Uh, it does pay the heat bill, yeah, well, which maybe. tells us uh, we need some donations. <laughs> you turn it on every once in a while. Go to filmphotographypodcast.com, click the donate button, and you'll see an array of things to do. Mm-hmm. You could donate cash. Yeah. You could donate a camera. Whoa. Has to be a film camera. Mm-hmm. Has to work. Yeah. Donate film. Yeah. Or hit store and shop around the store. Yeah, buy some stuff. The store, by the way, John. You got T-shirts? T-shirts coming. Great. Oh, great. Yep. T-shirts coming. You got them in extra, extra, extra large? And I have them in everything. Uh, great. Yep. What colors? Black. Just black? Maybe white. With the film photography logo on it? Logo, and we're going to have a instant camera. How about you're going to have uh, like one with Matt's face on it? Maybe. One with my face and one with your face? Maybe. See whose face sells better. How much do you think those T-shirts are going to cost? Eight dollars. Trying to kill me here? You're supposed to say like forty. Oh, okay. How much do you think those T-shirts are going to cost? I don't know. Twenty plus shipping and handling. No. Why? They're going to be like twelve ninety nine. It's ridiculous. You're it giving them away. That's right, Mike. Please. Well, they're not available yet. So. Oh. Well, another failed spot. <laughs> well, he caught me doing a not so great job wrapping a great gift. A Kodak Tele Instamatic six oh eight camera. It's almost like giving two cameras, because it has two lenses. Okay, Star, do your stuff. Look how the telephoto lens can make the best part of your picture bigger. A Kodak Tele 608 camera doesn't cost a great deal of money. But it gives a great deal of pleasure. And like all Kodak gifts, the Tele 608 camera says, open me first to save Christmas in pictures. Hey, we're back. Wow. I think it's time to listen to a letter. Listen to a letter? (laughs) Letters talk (laughs) now? Where have I been? This is from Joe Morota. What, Joe? <laughs> he says, how to pronounce your name, Joe Morota. Ma like ma and pa, rot like in rot and to like. Yeah, you say, here, look, how to pronounce your name. What's it say? Ma like ma and pa, rot like in rot and to like. I don't know what that means, rot and to like. 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 Ratentalike. 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 Hamilton, Brandt, Cornfell, up front. Mr. Spicoli has been kind enough to bring us a snack. Be my guest. Help yourselves. Get a good one. Hey, Hunter. This is from Hunter. Oh. Hey, I'm out of class, so if you want to talk about what you called about, I am game. Talk to him about his interview. Should we get him, get him live on the, on the yeah, blower? Yeah, get him on the horn. Want me to read this while you're getting it? Oh, it'll take me a second to get it. Joe Morata. Yeah, what's Joe say? Relatively new to your podcast. First learned about it through Scott Me Vogel. Oh, Scott My Vogel. My Vogel. Aperture Store. And his blog. Nice! In the oh, in-between Scott! time... Oh, in the in-between <laughs> time of new podcasts, I've been listening to the archived shows. What show? Most of my life I've been taking analog photos. Only in the last few years did I start taking digital photos. What does NBSP mean? I don't know. And NBSP, I don't know what that means. Sorry, Joe. I have pretty decent collection of cameras, either that were my own, given to me, and some I have purchased on eBay. Who more signed into it? There you go, eBay. The other day, a friend of mine gave me his old Nico Mat 35 from the late 70s. Nico! Just loaded it up and looking forward to seeing what develops. I have also been spending photo time with my Polaroids up. Oh, there you go, man after Mike's heart. Enjoying the Impossible Project films. Recently acquired a Polaroid 210. 
I really like the quality. Thanks for posting the tutorials on loading and using this camera. I understand that some of you will be coming to the photo weekend sponsored by Aperture Tremont in June. I'm also planning to attend. All right, Joe. Michael, see you there, right? Looking forward to the next podcast. Nice combination of photo talk, music, and movie trivia. Looks like I hit the trifecta. He's from Steubenville, Ohio. So he will see you in Cleveland, my friend. Awesome. Okay, Joe, I'll save you. Well, see, that, that confuse me. There's a ampersand and then the MBSP in between every sentence. Oh, that's because there's some HTML in here. Oh, for crying out loud. Let's get Hunter on the blower. Hey, is this, is this Hunter? It is. Hey, I'm here in the studio with John Fideli. Hey, Hunter. And you're, and on, you're the on the Film Photography, photography podcast. podcast. What? <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the Film Photography Podcast, you say? That's right. Right now. Wow. We're actually recording. Uh, we're in the middle of a recording session. The May, we're in the May 15th show. And what show? We're rolling. <laughs> what show? And we're rolling what in. What show? What show? <laughs> and uh, I'm really glad we have you on the phone because I want to uh, uh, congratulate you on recording two excellent Rollins. Mm. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, we rolled in the Impossible Project one, which I, you know, I just mentioned it to you in the email, and then the next, next, like blink an eye, and it's done. Mm. Yeah. How how was that? Yeah, in fact, it was really good. Um, it was really nice. They gave me film to review. I'm working on that right now. Wow, awesome. I told you that. So, yeah. Hunter always gets away with the film. He does, doesn't he? Hey, what can I say? I'm adorable. Uh, okay. <laughs> we're going to roll in the next piece right now. Um, this is awesome, and I really had no idea what you were talking about until I, I listened to your roll-in and I looked, up, looked it up because I originally asked Hunter to get an interview with... Bill. Uh, Bill Cunningham. It's sort of like yeah. the Daily Planet, where you're like uh, Peter Parker, whoever. Peter, Peter Parker. Parker. I'm, mixing, I'm mixing comic books. Spider-Man and Superman. Where it's like, All right, kid, uh, go interview Bill Cunningham. Do whatever you got to yeah. do to get it. Yeah. And it just wasn't in the cards. But, but this was amazing. Oh, you- this was amazing. I knew nothing about Lost Bohemia, the film. I knew nothing about Joseph Astor. I, of course, from seeing the Bill Cunningham documentary, I knew about the top floor of the Carnegie Hall. This is an awesome interview. Well done. Fantastic. We're gonna, right now, we're going to roll in the, the Lost Bohemia interview with Joseph Astor that you did. All right. Good interview. I have a picture I'm going to send you that I took with the new Impossible Cool SX-70 film. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please do uh, send some pictures. Did you take any pictures at Impossible? I took one outside, but it's not of Impossible. I can go back and take some more. Can you go back and take a uh, Impossible cool uh, shot with um, like a like a portrait of Keisha? Yeah. There you go. That'd be great. Yeah, That'd be awesome. Uh, and you may not know until you listen to the show. What show? <laughs> The Smooth Sailors are going to be playing at our gig in New York at Impossible. What? <laughs> <laughs> Birdman. Oh, yeah. Why is Joseph's middle name Birdman? Because he, I'll, I'll um, get the exact, but he has a bird, a 
and everybody at Carnegie Hall has nicknames. Uh, so they started calling it Birdman. Uh, well, so you should be called Birdman, John. Yeah, Burden Man. <laughs> I'll call you in like an hour or so. Yeah, I have class from 6 to 9, so as long as it's before that. Oh, man, I wish I had class. Yeah, the good old days. Yeah. It, I want to tell yeah. you something. <laughs> I, want you to, I want you to enjoy your class. I do. Just sit in that oh, chair, man. and you know, it's like, it's like you don't know how great uh, I loved college. Yeah. Oh, man. There's nothing to hate. Here is an interview. We're going to roll right into it. Uh, Lost Bohemia, the film by Joseph Astor, as recorded and interviewed by Hunter. No one really knows about this place, even though it sits right on top of the famous Carnegie Hall. It's like a secret Bohemian village. I never wanted a home. I wanted a studio, you know, a working studio. 51 years I've been here. I came here as a teenager. <laughs> now they're waiting for me to go. You know, they think I'm good, but I'm going to outlive them all. Come on in. What looks like Christmas. Ah. <laughs> 1955. That's the same year that I played with Duke Ellington downstairs. Okay? Now that's supposed to be here. No way. I have no right at all to be here. I come from this street. I've just come off the street and I come here. No! Yes! No! Yes! No! Yes! No! Yes! No! Yes! No! It's more interesting to live under fascinating, involving circumstances than your mundane fucking lives. This is part of why people want to act. All kinds of artists have been living and working here in Carnegie Hall, above the hall, for over 100 years. None of them seem to have, have the knowledge that there really is a kind of community here. They don't, it, it doesn't even occur to them. I mean, it sheltered me. We knew other people like ourselves were there. You can't buy that, and I hope you can't sell it. I got an eviction notice. Oh, really? To get out? To get out, and they said one month. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, I mean, I can see the space. It's just fabulous. Look at those arched windows. I can't believe she had that big studio. No wonder they wanted to get rid of her. No, 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 no. Piano lessons. How much can you make them? Piano lessons. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> They are very special places, and they are proposing to destroy it. And that is sacrilegious. That is morally wrong. The building is, uh, is a landmark. It's a landmark. Why is it they, they want to cut it all up? They didn't spend time of trying to preserve this tradition. I don't think they want this. They don't want it. We have a great machine against us. Something very new in the way of evil. What can you do but pray? What are we going to do, Joe? All they want to do is money, grab the money and whatnot. Everything is out, except the, the pipe organ isn't there yet. 
I don't know what they, if they donated or something. Maybe some church might take it. I wonder what they did with the organ. Did they give it to a church? So, uh, I'm still performing, and there's no reason why I shouldn't be here till the end of time. I'm sitting here with Joseph Birdman Astor, director and creator of the recent film Lost in Bohemia. How are you today, Joseph? I am very well. Glad to be here. Before we get into the film overall, can you give us kind of a background of yourself and yourself as a photographer? In 1985, like everybody else I knew in New York City, I was in the East Village, Avenue A and 3rd Street. And uh, I had a panic attack all of a sudden thinking, oh my God, I've been a photographer's assistant for ever. It seemed like. So in other words, I had to get my act together and become a serious working photographer so I wouldn't be that lifetime assistant, <laughs> which I guess is a fear in a lot. What do you do? Uh, uh, you go to the Pyramid Club for happy hour and you uh, talk to yourself and try to vent whatever it is that's, that your anxieties are, are telling you to do. Uh, so I was talking to some friends uh, saying how I really needed to be more uh, professional and go out there and put myself out there and uh, get a studio and all these kind of things. And as fate would have it, uh, a fellow two, uh, two stools down on the bar said, well, hey, I'm moving out of my place. Why don't you check it out? You may like it if you're looking for a studio. Well, I wasn't prepared for what he showed me. He didn't even say it was in Carnegie Hall. And even if he did, it might not have registered because, like everyone else, even New Yorkers, I did not know there were artist studios on top of Carnegie Hall. But there are, or I guess I have to say were, uh, for over 120 years. It was an artist community, maybe one of the first artist colonies in the States. So this was my education. I found that out by sitting... <laughs> In, in the Pyramid Club during happy hour, um, how else would you know? And you know, in hindsight, I can say that uh, that was not just uh, an accident, yeah, <laughs> an accident of fate. Maybe I took the place on against the better judgment of many of my friends. They said that's very impractical. You're just starting out. You're taking on the studio, but the studio itself, I should describe to your listeners because it's really nearly impossible to describe because it's not a New York style photo studio. It's not a loft space. It had a 20-foot-high pitched ceiling with a skylight facing north. The skylight was about 10 feet square. Clearly, they were constructed for specific purposes. Those were for painters or photographers who needed the light. And that's where I spent 22 years doing my still photography work. We talk about the artist studios. Can you, I mean, give us kind of a grasp of who was in the studios, the scope <laughs> of the people in these studios? That's a perfect question to begin because the scope, I can tell you the kind of people that were there when I moved in, which was, I hate to put it this way, that was towards the end. It wasn't maybe the heyday, but nonetheless, there was a massive amount of activity in 1985. But if you want to talk about <laughs> the years before that, I guess you could, you could say without exaggeration, it was most all of 20th century dance history for sure and painters writers actors musicians a whole combination of the arts and like i said with my studio it was specifically designed for a painter because of the skylight and equally there were studios for dancers that had perfect sprung wood floors and there was acoustically perfect studios for recording in fact if you want to <laughs> 
<laughs> see the history geek side of me, I'm going to really bore you. But um, I'll just give a bit. There was Enrico Caruso who did his first recording because the acoustics were so perfect. Not in the main hall, Carnegie Hall, in the studios above. Wow. And Actor Studio was there. This is the 1950s for a short time. So Marlon Brando actually lived in the Carnegie Studios in my film. Somebody talks about that. And I guess we could go on and on about that. I mean, the dance is amazing. It's Martha Graham and Agnes DeMille and uh, Isadora Duncan. That had to be the 20s or the teens or something. Lived there. So it goes on and on and on. Extraordinary uh, history and all this sort of accumulation of artists had a... What can I say? It had an incubating, if you want to say, a cross-pollinating effect where a lot of interesting work was produced because of the energy of all these artists together on top of, of all places in nasty old midtown Manhattan, yeah. <laughs> you know, where you wouldn't expect uh, would be an inspiring place for artists, which I guess you have to imagine. This is 1895. Yeah. Those studios are from 1895, and so it was sort of a wasteland around there. There wasn't much going on. Yeah. You know. Well, who were some of the contemporaries who were living there as well? <laughs> well, a lot of them are featured in the film, and I didn't know when I first moved in much about the building. As I said, I didn't even know it existed, yeah. the studios. They were built separately from the concert hall. They were not part of the original plan. And they're set back in uh, on the roof, so when people walk by Carnegie Hall, they don't see them. So really, people yeah. you know, don't know they're there. And when you're in the studios, it's a very insular kind of feeling cut off from the world, which is ideal for artists. At the same time, uh, that's why people didn't know they were there. Yeah. You just don't see them. and you know. But uh, there was Don Shirley. Don Shirley, uh, yeah, I know you obviously saw the movie. Yeah, you know he's probably about. one of my favorites. Brilliant. Yeah. I mean, he... Yeah, just a, a real character, but also like a brilliant, I guess you'd have to say, he was a child prodigy, and he's like, he's on in that uh, genius level. He was the kid at age three who was playing Beethoven. He had no idea to do with this kid. To fast forward, he was sent to Leningrad Conservatory. He came back here, played with Dick Gallington's orchestra, and signed with Columbia Artists, and is a classical concert pianist. And we love the way he talks about being a concert pianist because he says, well, I played downstairs many times. By downstairs, he means... Carnegie Hall. <laughs> the main hall. And he said, Joseph, I love playing downstairs. I just come up after the show and avoid all those crowds and I can come up in my bathtub and sit there and drink my champagne by myself. <laughs> so he's he, extraordinary character and has lived like a hundred different lives. And I suppose the... I guess the spirit of the Carnegie Studios would be Jean Beauvais. She was the uh, French singer, the cabaret singer. And she was the real, I guess you'd have to say, suffragette for the studio. She marched to save the building and the studios two or three different times when they were under threat. Right. And uh, she became a very good friend and, and, and supporter. Um, who else is there? Of course, there is the fig our figurehead, the illustrious Adida Sherman, by the way, who will be uh, 100 years old this year. She's wow. a portrait photographer and has been, she moved in the building in, 49, I think. Jean Beauvais had been there since 41. Can you, can you imagine? So, yeah, before the war. Um, but Adita Sherman, she's really the one who people associate with the play. Yeah. She's like charmingly eccentric, but also a brilliantly talented photographer and a real fighter to preserve the studio. Yeah. She was right on the front lines. You know, yeah. she wasn't just a, a pretty face. <laughs> yeah. And of course, Bill Cunningham as well. Oh, thank you. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, it's Bill. Fine. Sorry, Bill. <laughs> he wouldn't mind. He doesn't like being in front of the camera. I think people know that he is that man behind the lens If anybody is the man behind the lens. When they did that documentary about him, which is so terrific, I think 
his main concern was that his cover would be blown, as if people didn't know him already. But there'd be so much attention on him because of the movie that he wouldn't be able to do his job. He wouldn't get the kind of pictures he was interested in taking because, you know, he'd be distracted by all the, the attention given to him. So, uh, but that's somebody who was talking about a, a purist. I mean, yeah. that, that's the that's the real like a real documenter, yeah. you know. Filing cameras, just a, just it's he, all he's kind of. It seemed like he's almost a hoarder in a way. Yeah, well, a hoarder for pictures, I would say. As far as things go, he had very few things. In fact, who did I photograph one time? We was talking about oh, the uh, writer and comedian um, Fran Leibowitz. She says, oh, this is Bill Cunningham's building, isn't it? When I was taking a picture, I said, yes, it is. He's just upstairs. She says, the world would be a better place if more people were like Bill Cunningham. He eats less food. He buys less clothing. He takes up less space. He uses less energy than anybody I know. (laughs) It's true. He's like a monk. People say he's like a monk. And what people didn't understand was that those studios, although maybe people would feel envious and they'd like to be part of that community, it wasn't for everybody. And Bill Cunningham told me most people wouldn't like it. Yeah. A lot of students didn't have plumbing. You'd walk down the halls to the bathroom, you know, and it was like that. And I think in the beginning of the film, Jean Beauvais says to us, she says, I never wanted a home. I wanted a studio and yeah. to be among other artists. Yeah. That it's was a beautiful our, quote. Yeah. And that really, in essence, described the type of people who fit in well in the Carnegie Studios. In other words, uh, their priorities were not comforts of living. Their priorities were to have a place to work on their art and be among other artists so Carnegie Hall Studios were torn down um, or are still in the process of being torn down can you I mean what was the reasoning behind them being allowed to to uh, commit this for lack of a better word of atrocity uh, that's a perfect word I don't uh, some people use the word uh, blasphemy uh, sacrilegious it's one of those things that I is very complicated and I can't tell you how many of the tenants who I still see who get together and say what could we have done differently? What would have turned things around? What would have made people aware that this was something that clearly should have been preserved, that not just should have been preserved, was it's sort of necessary for New York City to survive as the, as the city that was fueled by all the artists coming to it and giving the city this, uh, this uh, particular soul that it had that maybe it has less of these days. First of all, people didn't know the studios were there. So when we were fighting with even Landmark's Preservation Commission, uh, it was a tough uphill battle when we thought it was so obvious and clear. It yeah. still is obvious and clear. And when people see the film, they ask the exact question you just asked me. How, how, how could that happen? Yeah. You know, and you see in the film, and you get to know the tenants, and you get to know a little bit of the history, and then it becomes an obvious, you know, uh, an obvious cause that should be you know, fought for and preserved. But um, yes, it's true that most people didn't know they were there. It'd be much easier to sort of fight and get a lot of public support for something that everybody knew and loved, but people didn't know about the studios. And for our mind, that didn't make them any less valuable. You know, they were still had the sort of, uh, uh, how can I say, they had the interest of uh, tradition and culture and history. And the physical architecture in and of itself was something. Okay, the short answer is uh, Sanford Weil, the billionaire, former chairman of Citigroup, is the chairman of the board of trustees of Carnegie Hall. And I don't know if this is accurate, but I think it's separated $24 million or something he donates to Carnegie Hall. And uh, 
the board, I think a few of the members of the board, we overheard saying, well, we, you know, we can't really go against the wishes of Sanford Weill. That gave me a chill, and I wish I had given them a chill. Uh, to take it a bit step further, his son-in-law was hired as the architect for the renovations. I guess that's enough for people to know, except for the mayor. The mayor, with one stroke of the pen, could have preserved the Carnegie Studios easily. Yeah. Because what most people don't know, this is a very important thing to know, and it makes you question even more how that could happen. You know, when you ask that question, it is a burning question. Uh, it's the building itself is owned by the city of New York, and it's leased to the Carnegie Corporation. So it's a city-owned building. Yeah. It really belongs to the city of New York. And nonetheless, there was never uh, a hearing in the city council. Yeah, Nothing like that happened. It was something that was really, how can we say this? We heard this through the grapevine. This isn't firsthand. But some people in very high positions were heard saying the fix was in from the beginning. It felt like that. We knew we had a Goliath. This like ragtag group of artists trying to yeah. fight to preserve. We could not find one champion to support us. Uh, our local city council person, no, not at all. Dan Garodnik, who does claim to be a preservationist, voted in favor of the demolition of the studios. So we had one disappointment like that after another, and we started to see the bigger picture. You know, the Goliath was like the proportion of the Goliath that we sort of knew we were fighting were massive. Yeah, went all the way to the state level. So. I'm not saying it was discouraging. I was saying that it was impossible. But um, to quote one of the elderly tenants, I said, what can we do? He said, look at it this way, Joseph. Uh, if Fiorello LaGuardia was still the mayor of New York, you'd have your Carnegie Studios. That's what he said. He said, we're not living in times that are conducive to preserving an artist colony. Just look out the window. You know, this yeah. is a city that's friendly to any sort of corporate real estate, but not this kind of thing. Yeah. That's sort of how it was explained. I guess that's the, the short answer. Yeah. It seems like the changing of New York and New York as a whole, like, I mean, even if you look back to, like, the Photo League, which I did a piece on last month, it, it seemed that they just changed, that it kind of went away over time, similar to how Carnegie Hall went away. I mean, do you think something like this could ever happen in New York again? Is it just as simple as we need like a new mayor or what? Well, I'm going to go back to what you just said, which was a very, uh, very resonating way to put it. it. It went away. We did include some voiceover quotes. I wanted to be very purist, verite, direct cinema kind of filmmaker. And for the most part, it is. It's a story told from the inside. Obviously, I was privileged to be on the inside, so I could tell the story from that point of view. And, and uh, the Carnegie artists, who were my neighbors, were very forthcoming and talking about things. Um, but we wanted to make sure that people understand that it didn't just happen or go away. It wasn't a natural evolution. Oh, well, it was only old people and the thing had seen its day. It wasn't. It was a very pointed campaign by the corporation, Carnegie Hall Corporation, to purge the tenants and repossess the spaces. It was like, and tenants were fighting for the, there was a big, uh, there was a big wave of evictions in the late 70s. So this had been going on for quite a long time. It was a slow it was a slow build-up, but by the time I got there, it was it was the last it was yeah. the last battle, and we we felt that. So, uh, 
I should say we did have John Turturro. I don't want to say we didn't have a champion that was coming to the front lines to help us. He studied acting in the Carnegie Studios, and his teacher was a wonderful character, Mr. Modica, Robert X. Modica. Did not paint his studios. Very superstitious about that. And he speaks very well about the studios, and he contacted John Turturro, who gave a rally at City Hall to preserve the studio. City Hall, of course, because it's a city building. He wanted to make sure everyone knew that. And there was a letter handed to the mayor signed by Robert De Niro and Susan Sarandon, a lot of major heavyweight, nothing. Yeah. It, tells, it sort of tells you not that, the, you know, oh, we throw up our arms and nothing will work. It just shows you how much force there was. And also a force that wasn't really identifying itself. The people who were really pulling the strings never, never were recognized as the yeah. people responsible for it. So it was very clever sort of PR spinning, I guess you'd say. Yeah. You know. That should never have happened. I mean, that's part of your question, right? Like, how yeah. did it happen? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, people refer to Penn Station. They said that. How could that? How could anybody even thought of it, let alone do yeah. it? You know. And then the big "I'm sorry" was to have Landmarks Preservation Commission. Yeah. You tell me the questions that you want because there's a lot of stuff that I yeah. could tell you that you know maybe is pertinent to your story. But <laughs> could anything like this ever? happen in New York again? Well, I don't, it's just be There is West Beth, I suppose. That's an artist community. And when you think of Chelsea Hotel, that was, that's something that, yeah. you know, currently is, has been bought. It's a, it's a very different story. It's not a city building. It's a privately owned building and it was sold. So, you know, but at the same time, what we heard repeated over and over again during the Landmarks Commission hearings, of course, Carnegie Hall is a landmark. And when we attended the Landmarks hearing, because if you change a brick on a landmark building, they have to sort of approve everything. And we heard them discuss the Carnegie Studios in a way that was chilling. You know, they said, tradition is not in our purview. The interior and the usage of the building is not in our purview. And I thought... What is in their purview? The, the, the facade, the bricks, basically. Uh, and I sort of knew that. I knew that it was very difficult to preserve an interior. There's certain things that had to be 50% of original fixtures. It had to be open to the public. It had to be accessed. All these kind of things that might have been tricky. But... Like we're saying in the film, the it was the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. Yeah. You know, obviously the place should have been preserved, but yeah. they were able to with clever lawyers and a fellow that they called an historian who was clearly not, he was a lobbyist, who was there at the landmarks hearings telling people, Andrew Carnegie always wanted a roof terrace because that's what they did. They took away the skylights and everything, and that was the new renovation plan, and to put a roof terrace and someone in the, on the Landmarks Commission said, well, what will this be used for? I mean, they were stumbling and sort of hesitant when they saw that the new plan involved demolishing those 19th century skylights. In other words, the symbol that represented what that place was for. And I think the answer was it's going to be for corporate fundraisers or something like that. And it just, I mean, you know, like I said, really doesn't it just ring of like 1%? I mean, it rings of... It hurts. Yeah, it's painful. It's painful. And when I, you know, there's a massive gasp a sucking in of air <laughs> when we show that in the film, when we show what the new renovations are going to look like, because it, it really tells you everything. Like I said, I wish I made a different film. I didn't know how things were going to turn out. It was, like I said, a verite piece in the way that I was filming it as the action was going along. I didn't know. We suspected, and we had these awful, ominous premonitions, like when they demolished the pipe organ in the film. Yeah. You know, the collective thought was, this is not good. You know, if a revered arts institution like Carnegie Hall can do something like that. Yeah. 
I don't feel very secure about our particular future as artists yeah. in the building. All right, well, I think that wraps it up nicely. Thank you for being with me, Joseph. Okay, this was a real pleasure, and please come see the film if this airs in time. www.lostbohemia.com will give you a list of screenings. Thank you. Okay, thanks very much. So, hey, that was uh, uh, the Lost Bohemia clip. Uh, Who and, knew uh, about this place? Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? And uh, we're going to read a few more letters and get, do a giveaway. Sure. Yeah, let's give stuff away. But um, See, this will get people excited about wanting to send their stuff in, make donations to the show. Absolutely. To the store. Well, this is, um, well, first of all, we're, what we're giving away. Mm-hmm. This was, this was sent in by uh, Martin from Yakima, Washington. Yakima. Yakima. And what it is, it's a, a Nikon N60 outfit. Look at that. And what you get is the camera, mm-hmm. a 28 to 80 millimeter uh, zoom lens. What's it open to? What's the lens open? <laughs> Hold on. To? Uh, tell me. Uh, 2.8. 3.3. Mm, okay. Not bad. Oh, it's a zoom. As in most cameras, and we spoke about this, the 80s and 90s, the spiff program salespeople used to do. Yeah. Every camera was sold with a filter on it. That's right. So the lens is so impeccable. The lens is all like... This could be cleaned, but yeah. it's all like spotted and stuff. Yeah. And if I take the filter off, oh my god! Look at that virgin. It's like a baby's butt. Yep, it's so beautiful. Mm. I don't use filters anymore. No, no. I take I take good care. I was going to say you're ultra careful. Good. Yeah, and uh, I I powered this baby up. Took a couple of shots before the show. I did. How's this work? Oh, there oh. you go. Something's blinking. Uh oh, run! <laughs> Auto. Auto. How do you get the, Oh, there it is. Oh, look at that. Auto. Pops right up. Flash pops right up. Yeah, take a shot of me. It's a very keen design. Oh, yeah. It has a Nikon N60. If you have to press it, mm-hmm. it will be... Um, you'll see it. Like, it. <laughs> That's it. Oh, did no, it? Did it. Yeah, while you were talking. Really? Let me do, let me do my Scott Walker. Did the flash go off? Yeah. Oh, really? It doesn't you can't, can't even tell. It. No, you can't. If it's really dark, this spotlight goes on. Ooh, spotlight. What, to give you a focal point? Help you focus? Oh, See that? that's pretty cool. So if you're, if you're like in a wedding hall, well, let's say in your parents' house and they're too cheap to put the lights on. Let's say you're at a funeral. <laughs> this spotlight goes on. To, to, it's actually like a, a floodlight. Yeah. To help your camera, give you some light for your camera to focus on. Yeah. That's really amazing. Here, listen yeah. to this. Where's the sensor? There it is. This is RoboCop. RoboCop. Come quietly or there will be trouble. Now, what's great about this Nikon N60 is that right here, you can turn the autofocus off. Auto. Go to manual focus. Manuel. Which I always recommend because that's, you know, you want to be a photographer. Yeah. You don't want to be a robot. Clarence Bodiger. <laughs> you are under arrest. Yeah. You can, you can manually focus. The flash is built in, which is awesome. And very much like the Canons, because I'm a Canon guy myself, mm-hmm. you have auto, auto. program, mm. S, yes. A, A, M, Sam. <laughs> and then you have like pictures here, in case you like, can't read. Mountain. You got a mountain, a flower, 
and a guy like you know what's the Paul, fight? No, it's like oh sports, sports, fast shutter. Yep, um, this is an excellent, excellent camera. In great shape, doesn't smell or nothing. Oh, this looks minty. Mm-hmm. I have a roll of film in it, so the the shots we just take will be in your camera that you can get processed. And of course, if you win it, just you know, you know, send us our pictures, right? Yeah, <laughs> won't you? It also comes with Ta-ta-da. the manual. Manuel. That's important. Yeah. yeah. Well, you can get it online these days. Uh, and comes with the whole... Got the leather pouch. Like, some people, like Dane Johnson, like to shoot with this stuff on. What's that? This is the leather thing that goes on the bottom. So oh, I see. Like, look at that. Like that. Eh, tricks, I, tricks it out a little bit. I, I strip this stuff off because you can't, you can't load the film with this on. No, it's hard to do It's that. storage. Yeah. Hey, does that uh, little pouch have uh, straps through it so you could put it on your belt? No, it has this strap. Oh. So how, you may say, how do you win this? Hey, Mike. How, how do I win this? This is a 35-millimeter camera. It is, uh, I give it two thumbs up. Uh, many folks would say this is a beginner's camera. Mm-hmm. If you're all pimped out at home and you have like five, six cameras, you may want to pass. Yeah, you may not be interested. Yeah, but if you're new to film photography and you're listening and, you, you know. You're not quite sure whether or not you want to put it on Manuel or Otto. Otto. This is the perfect camera. And I, what I encourage people to do is, you know, if you can think of it as an exchange program. Like, let's say you win this camera and you start shooting with it and then you, like, get gas. Mm-hmm. Gear acquisition syndrome. Send it back. Send it back. Exactly. And then we'll pass it along. Yeah. Uh, th- our audience is so super awesome that I've not seen any, like, you know, win the camera, put it on eBay. Yeah, that's good. Why do you check that? I don't check that. No. I truly have faith in all of our listeners. Yeah. I don't think anybody would do us dirty like that. No. <laughs> So, in order to win this camera, you need to send, I feel like, AM radio. To win the Peter Frampton tickets, be the 8th caller at 555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-555-
the one. This is a. Oh, wait. Three point five. Three point five. Yeah, no, it was three point three. Yeah, interesting. This looks it, like it takes a proprietary flash. Uh oh, no flashes included with this. Oh wait, there is a flash. What am I saying? Oh, oh, built-in you flash. Silly guy. So you will get the Minolta Maxim four thirty SIRZ or equivalent. When I say or equivalent, because I haven't powered this up yet, I need to get some batteries. So if it's shite, we're <laughs> not going to send it to you. No, I need to test it out. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, that's a big battery. Yeah, that's much bigger than the CR8. Oh, man. Uh, So, yeah, we'll have a a, um, a backup, what do you call it? A a secondary prize. Oh, a a runner-up. Runner-up prize. Runners-up, runner-up. We've ramped up our giveaways again, so everyone should know that monthly we're going to be giving stuff away. Are we giving stuff away now? We gave away uh, two Spectre cameras on the first. Well, yeah. All right, I'm going to read a few letters, and then we'll be done. All righty. Yeah. All righty. This is uh, submitted by our good friend, Nick Raypack. He wrote last show. Oh, yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. I'm an avid film shooter. have been listening to FPP for a year and a half. My main camera is an Olympus OM-2N, but I also like to re-spool 120 and use it in my small collection of 620 cameras. Aside from that, my latest camera purchase is a Polaroid Mio. Oh, my. Right here. Mio, my. Which is the same camera you have. Which you know, John, you shot with this last show. I had it sideways. Show? What show? I can't get the power up right now. Oh, stop. What, mm. are, you saying? what are you suggesting? Batteries. Okay. I thought it was a contact. Spin them. Okay, now try it, because the battery may be dead. No, it usually works with the remote if you spin it. Really? Get a couple more flicks out of it. <laughs> I, I got my battery tester right here. Huh? Let's see what's going on. Use the uh, West End battery tester. Lick it. <laughs> Does that really work? With nine volts. Super. Supercharged? I'm, I'm, te- I'm testing. You can actually hear the. You can actually hear the needle. Listen. It's like clunk. Yeah. And what happens when you put a nine volt on your tongue? You get a little uh, shock. You get a little thrill. And that means that they're super. Doesn't mean super, but it means there's, there's something going on. Okay, I'm going to try again to uh, put these batteries in and charge up my Polaroid Mio. The Mio was introduced in 1999, the year 1999, hmm. and uh, used Polaroid Mio film. Mm-hmm. Everything was manufactured by Fuji. And I like this because it's very unique. That takes the Instax Mini? Ooh! Oh! You made it work. I did. I did that by... You're a genius. I was like, you know, uh, it's like tossing a salad. Yeah? <laughs> the battery's like... Uh, maybe you had the batteries in wrong. Hear that? That's the Mio. Listen. Book him. It's nice. Yeah, never heard that noise. Anyhow, Nick Raypeck has the Mio. Yeah, so what's he it, say? It uses Instax Mini Film. There you go. It's similar to the Polaroid 300. It is. But it has its own design, not a Fuji copy. Yeah. It and sits rather... Slanted when you sit it up and you stand it up. And I'm reading this letter because Nick Raypack, I, he, he was he's picked out of a group, and mm-hmm. he we're sending him some film. Great. What kind of film? Kodak. Thirty-five. Kodak thirty-five millimeter film. But he uses one. He uses one twenty. We're gonna send him one twenty film. There you go. Yeah. yeah, Nick, you're in luck. This this episode. Uh, John recently acquired uh, through me. I gifted John a Polaroid three hundred. Yep. And uh, what's the review? Love it. Love it. Huge. Hmm. I uh, I bought it to several family events. It was a big hit. 
Big hit. Because you take pitches and just hand them to the people, and they're like, what's this white card? Like, just watch it. Just hold on to it. Because they don't know what it is. They look at it, and they're like, there's nothing here. They didn't get it. I'm like, yeah, just wait a minute. People have forgotten what Polaroid is? Right. They have. Well, my family has. What do you think of this? Oh, my God. It's a clunker. Do you think this is your next step? Instax or 100? Well, it's now called the 210. That's the first camera. That camera was given to me by Ian Cook. Ian Cook? Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Hopefully, we'll see Ian next month. Yeah, one turn it on. On the back is a red button. But uh, people loved oh. having pictures. That sounds a little funky. Well, this is a brick. Yeah. But it's huge. for families, like, we, you know, here, take a shot. Yeah, the, mini, the only complaint I got was that the minis are too small. Yeah, t- t- take a shot with this. <laughs> yeah! Look at that picture, John. Holy shit. Sheesh, that's a big picture. That's a crowd pleaser. That is a big picture. It's widescreen. It's wide. Yeah. So if you shot it this way, you'd have a nice vertical shot. Mm, didn't know that. Uh, where do you get this film? You can get that film at the filmphotographystore.com. No kidding. <laughs> yep. That's awesome. Now, what's happened here in the States is amazing. For film photography, it's a, uh, a, a jump for joy. <laughs> If you go into Walmart or to Target, you could buy the Polaroid 300 film. Is that right? In Target, it's called Polaroid 300 film. In Walmart, it's called Mini Instax, as John calls it. Mini Instax. I called it that once. It's okay. Stop. If you walk into Target stores, you could buy the Polaroid 300 camera. Yes. If you walk into Walmart stores, you buy the Fuji Instax mini camera, which looks exactly like mm-hmm. the Polaroid 300 or vice versa. Right. But it doesn't stand up so well, the 300. See, look at how nice that Mio is standing up. Um, that's a little... That stands up okay. This one stands up great, but I'm saying the 300. You got to lay it down. I think that if you're a family man or a family woman and you're going to an event... Well, li- listen to this. Wait, I didn't finish my Oh, God, so go ahead. My wife is always bugging me for pictures of the kids. I need pictures of the kids more recent. I have the ones I have, they're two years old. So we spent the day, my kids and I... Just taking pictures. And at the end of the day, we got a big uh, piece of, what do you call it? You know, cardboard. Uh, not cardboard, but like, uh, you know, construction paper. But thick. Thick, thick gauge construction paper. Paper board. And then we, pay, we taped all the pictures on it, and then we drew around it. So we made like a whole, a whole a day collage. Yeah, we made a collage. I'm like, oh, do a smiley face or, you know, do a rock face or whatever. And this is Polaroid 300. Polaroid Instax Mini, yeah. Yep. From the 300. And she loved it. She came, so your wife came home and was greeted by this. Yep. So like, look what we did today. What'd she say? She loved it. Loved it. Loved it. We put it in a, a little uh, folder so she could bring it with her, and she hung it up at work. No kidding. Yep. So I think every couple of months we'll do something like that. You know, every time their faces change a little bit. What would you do with the wide pictures? Too big. Too big. No, not that's too good big. for the in-laws. Uh, those are good for party takeaways. I think the the, the the small ones at the party were a hit. But people, that was the one comment. Oh, they're a little small, though. Don't they used to make them bigger? You know who loves the little ones? People under 30. Because oh, really? no issues with your eyes yet. Yeah, well, I'm serious. Because they're all used to looking at iPhones oh. anyways. So the images are small. Amazing. It's amazing what we're discovering here. We're yes. talking about cultural we're culture. Sociological discoveries. Yeah. If you're under 30, you're used to the small screen. You yeah. love the Instax Mini. Yeah, people watch a movie on a freaking phone. I will not. If you're over 35, the wide picture is traditional. Your in-laws are going to flip when they see that. They'll like that. Thanks, Ian Cook. Yeah. 
I'm going to nick this. That? I'll nick it for, uh, let me see. Oh, I got a uh, confirmation what? this Saturday. Why don't you nick it from me? I'll nick it. Yeah. That'll be great. Yeah. Be a big hit. Yeah. How'd that come out? The colors are beautiful. Look at that. It's not even fully developed yet. <laughs> you, your, your level of emotion is through the roof there. I'll post that for people. You will. Uh, you cannot. Unf- Sadly, the Instax. Why'd you have that turned over? I don't. Is that light sensitive? No, you just, just used, used to doing it. With doing the it. All right. Um, this is not light sensitive at all. It it spits out an image similar to the original Polaroid 600. Ding ding ding. I call this practical instant photography for family or functions. Yeah. There's nothing artistic. I mean, I I sometimes peel. Oh, I don't know. I guess you could find an artistic application. See, that would be that would be the challenge, wouldn't it? This is vanilla. Yeah, you'd have to do a lighting, do a lighting setup. Yeah, can use everything to an artistic advantage if you just think about it in the right way. Yeah, I think I think this is going to be a huge hit. And uh, sadly, these are not in stores, and these should be in stores. Yeah. Not only are they not in stores, I don't watch TV. How old is that camera? Do you know? Well, the new one is called the Polaroid. Uh, Polaroid. The new one is called the Fuji Two Ten. Yeah, that's what. Mm. Uh, we stock at the uh, FPP store. Two ten. Two ten. Nice, nice picture. And the new one's a little more um, advanced looking. No, it's black. Yeah. It's a little smoother. You can't like scrape your head on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, and the new one comes with the adapter in the front for close-ups. Oh, is that right? Yeah. How close? Did I give you an adapter for the Polaroid no. three hundred? What adapter did Mark have on his Polaroid that he took that picture? That amazing. Picture. Oh, well, he had a pack camera. Yeah. He bought a set of adapters. I have an adapter for 300 I'm going to give you. Oh, is that right? It snaps on the front. How, how close can I get up? Pretty close. Like six uh, inches? Arm's length like oh. this. Not six inches. Like it's not a macro. A foot. Oh, okay. That's pretty close. That's nice. Because you want big child's head in oh, frame. Oh, yeah. I want to fill that frame with cuteness. Yes. Have you done like uh, multiple images yet where you take like three and then you place them together to make one image? Uh, yeah. Like That's what we did the first time. Horizontally shoot the body three times and you stack it? Uh, no. Well, I did like... Uh, no, I did series with the kids, but I didn't do, like, a movie. This segment's series. called Fun with Your Instant Camera. Fun. Yep. Well, hopefully there's a lot of people who have, uh, you know, a use for this kind of thing. I know there are a lot more people out there that are, you know, really into, you know, medium formats and, you know, nature and other things like that. And I'm wondering if they apply themselves as well to, to family functions with their uh, talents. I don't know if a lot of people do that. Tell us, do you? Podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. Yeah. <laughs> do you remember? This is a letter from Justin. Justin Barokian. Mm-hmm. We met him at PDN. Okay, great. He was a, he was a 14-year-old boy. He's now a 15-year-old oh, boy. Oh, the young guy. Right. He bought his mom. Yep. What a nice little guy. Hey, my name is Justin, and I'd like to enter to win some Portra and Triax. Currently shooting mostly 35, but hope to be getting more into 120 soon. I met the FPP gang, John, mm-hmm. Mike, Matt, and Dan, at the PDN meetup, which was great. Hope you guys make your way back to New York soon. Justin. Justin, we'll see you at the photo walk. We're doing a photo walk in May, Justin, okay. and four we'll be days. back at the PDN in what are we, four days. Yeah. One day. May 19th. Stoops. In four days. That's right. Okay. In four days. Uh, so I'm sending uh, Justin some film. Great. Uh, courtesy of Eastman Kodak, of See, course. That's, these are the kind of people you want to inspire. Yes. The youngsters. And bring us some, uh, bring us some shots that you've shot. Yes. Bring us some photos. Let's see what you're up to, Justin. This is from Kara 
or Kara. Kara Mia. Her last name is Sal, Sal, says her last name is pronounced like the painter Caravaggio. Have you heard of that painter? Caravaggio, yeah. Her name is Salvaggio. 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 What's her first name? Cara. C A C A R. It's a beautiful Where's name. Where's she from? She is. From, I don't know. Sorry. It's a she. Oh, okay. She's from. Uh, she is neighbors with uh, John the Trackman. No way in Florida. Tampa, Florida. Oh wow. I'm a 23. Maybe is Cara both a male and female now? I don't know. I don't presume anything anymore. Well, she really helps us out. She says, I am 23, female art history major at USF. I have had this Bronchia ETRS oh. with the 75 2.8 for five years or so. Doesn't Dean have a Bronchia? Hmm, I don't know. Yeah. Sadly, I've only put a, I've only put a sad number of rolls through it. Oh. oh. I absolutely struggle finding 120 film here in Tampa. And always have to buy it from the big dudes with those awesome prices. Mm. You know, like B&H. Yeah. Help me out with a break. Let's cut her a break, dude. She's a student. I would love to get properly into the medium format. Also, don't write me off on the 35 millimeter. <laughs> I guess she has a 35 millimeter camera, too. Uh, love you, FPP, Kara. Love you, Kara. Sending you some film courtesy of FPP and Eastman Kodak. Fill up that camera for you. And it looks like we're done. Wow. This was an exciting, mellow episode. Yeah, exciting, mellow episode. <laughs> yeah. We heard from Hunter. Yep. We heard from Matt. Yep. We heard from Kara. Yep. We heard from Justin. We heard from William Apresino. That's right. You like uh, unsweetened papaya? Oof. No, thank you. Okay. <clears throat> I, need, I need some honey for my throat. Okay. Well, it's been really, really fantastic. Uh, we're going to see everyone in four days. Go to the website, get all the information, filmphotographyproject.com. Send in your cameras and donations, filmphotographyproject.com. Send us an email to say hi, podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. But most importantly, go out there and shoot, shoot, shoot. I have some stuff we didn't get to next time. What? Oh, secret. I'm working on a personal project. Uh Oh. Yeah. Oh, who's this? Uh Oh, it's a, it's a deluxe, color by deluxe. No way. Hey, we're gonna see every, we're gonna see everyone next time because I gotta go. Okay. Hello, Mike Rosso. Hey, Steve. Like this one's on you, dude. Who's got the Buku Dolores today? Uno Dinero. What have you got, Mr. Buckman? I got a cigarette. I got Uno Nicolette. <laughs> hey! You guys had shirts on when you came in here. Well, something happened to him, man. <laughs> Come on, it's Bacoli. Just put the shirts back on. You see that sign? No shirt, no shoes, no dives. <laughs> right. Learn it. Know it. Live it. Well. So that was the last time I was violent, about three days ago. Justify it. You put one Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
Because the thing is, man, is like when you're driving on the road, I mean, like you get a person who's that rude, I mean, they're going to kill you. So, like, if you give them a quick, sh short, sharp shock, they don't do it again. Dig it? I mean, he got off light because I could have given him a thrashing. I only hit him once. <laughs> <laughs>